Ah yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Isaiah in Isaiah 28 verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God, and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word, line upon line. chapter 10. As you know that this is a chapter that deals with what people believe, the issue of clean and unclean meats. And I know that uh, people join us on this study from different time zones, different parts of the world. So maybe you're having breakfast or lunch or dinner. But if you're planning on having pork or seafood, I'd ask you to pause, step away from the table and focus on this study. Because we're going to prove to you categorically that Chapter 10 of Acts does not authorize the eating of unclean meats, unclean food. So we'll do that. And then afterwards, we're going to invite you to participate in our chat afterwards. If you disagree with us, and I'm sure this is a controversial topic, but we welcome discussion. And certainly we welcome discussion from Christians. Uh, Christians are under attack. Uh, We don't need to be attacking each other. We need to figure out how we can work together. And I think as long as you have a high view of scripture, as we do, we certainly welcome the opportunity to interact with you. So stay tuned, let's get through this chapter, and then let's have some discussion afterwards. We'll open with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you, and we thank you, God, for your word. We pray, Father, that you'll give us hearts that are open to your word, open to correction, and that really just want to know what you think on matters, and then that we will conform ourselves to your thoughts and to your will. We praise you, Father, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study Acts chapter 10 and ask for your blessing in our understanding. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So as I mentioned, uh, Acts chapter 10 is this chapter that focuses on Peter's vision. And, And the scripture that people point to, beginning in verse 10, that Peter became very hungry and would have eaten, 
But while they made ready, they were preparing the meal, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein all manner, notice that, all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And so he has this vision. There's all these creatures in the sheets that, that in the sheet that's being let down from heaven. And, and the instruction to him is to rise, kill anything and eat. And we use this scripture to justify uh, the eating of things like bacon and ham. And, and various meats that are that are pronounced unclean by the scriptures and yet because of our love for them and, and we really do have a love for them here you'll see this uh, bacon eating contest and uh, quite quite a love that we have uh, for bacon uh, and, and trying to pull people away from bacon this is the issue it, it's not that we want to eat whatever we want to eat because there are many uh, foods that if somebody were to put something like this on your plate, you'd recoil in horror. Uh, in some cases, we have uh, people catching dogs in the street, uh, cutting them up and, and serving them as food. Uh, and, and again, most of us would recoil in horror. But why? Why would we recoil in horror about eating a dog, but we have no issue when it comes to eating a pig? or, or a, a squid, or an, or an oct octopus. Well, let's go back to the scripture and, and be faithful to the text. So first of all, all scripture is given for inspiration and for instruction. If we look now at Isaiah 66, notice this is a prophecy of the end time, the time just before us. And beginning in verse 15, Isaiah prophesies and says, For behold, the Lord will come with fire. Like, God is patient. And he is just being as patient as possible. But there comes a time when it's over. And when he comes, he's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as a lion. He's coming with fire. He's coming with judgment. And so Isaiah is prophesying of the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ. And he's going to come with fire. And with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury. There's just going to be so much uh, filth and, and uncleanliness on the earth. That when Christ comes, he's coming with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh. And there's another scripture in Zechariah that says he's going to gather all flesh in Jerusalem and he's going to plead with them there over his people. And so when he comes, he's coming with fury and he's going to plead with all flesh. And the slain of the Lord shall be many, unfortunately. There are going to be many that are going to fight against Jesus Christ when he returns. And I wish it were not so, but it is so. This is the heart of man. And so there, the, the slain of the Lord shall be many. Who, who will be included in these, uh, this category of people that are called many that Christ will be angry with, that he will slay? Who will be included in that? They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves. So, so they're not looking to Christ for purity. They're not looking to God for sanctification. They've got some kind of weird religion and weird, strange ideas, ideas that don't come from the Bible, where they're sanctifying themselves. And they believe they're holy. And Christ is saying he's coming with fury, and they're not part of his, his, uh, re, his anointed, those that he's sanctifying. They sanctify themselves. 
and purify themselves in the gardens behind one tree in the midst. Notice this. The slain of the Lord shall be many. And what are they doing? They're eating swine's flesh. Eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse. They shall be consumed together, says the Lord. I know their works and their thoughts. And it shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues and they shall come and see my glory. So if you're using Acts chapter 10 as the sole scripture to say, hey, I, I believe God authorizes the eating of unclean meats. I'm going to show you Isaiah 66 and say that God doesn't change. God is not schizophrenic. He's consistent. And when he returns, he's going to punish many, the slain of the Lord, the rebels. There are going to be many rebels on the earth. He says in another place, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Uh, indicating that faith will be minimal, or the faithful will be few. And so he's coming with fury. I'm going to challenge you to say, do you really want to be um, arrogantly saying, I can eat whatever I want, when the scripture makes it very clear, God can see these things an abomination. And there's a reason why. We don't have to understand all the details, but we need to know that God says that unclean meat is un unfit for human consumption. Now, we are reading Acts chapter 10 tonight. But, but through this study, we keep emphasizing the importance of context, the importance of understanding what is the purpose of this book. And remember that Acts and Luke go, go together. Luke is volume one, Acts is volume two. And Luke is writing these two volumes to a specific indi individual for a specific purpose. And notice in Luke 1, just to remind you, that he says here as he's opening up his first volume, for as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also. So Luke is saying, you know, I know that a lot of people have already written about Christ, but it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things. So Luke is a physician, a professional man, had perfect understanding. And so he thought, you know, I need to write this down. And, and, and to write it from the very beginning, to write unto you in order, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke and Acts are written specifically to this individual, Theophilus, who we believe to be Paul's lawyer, Paul's defense counsel. And so he's trying to give this, this, this profession, one professional to another, giving him all the background so that he can successfully defend the Apostle Paul. Now, when he begins the second volume, he says, The former treatise, referring to Luke, I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Meaning that now in, Acts, in, in, in the book of Acts, in the second volume, Jesus is continuing to do and to teach through the power of his Holy Spirit. So he empowers the church with his Holy Spirit. And we're seeing that all the things that Jesus did in Luke, in, in the gospel, he's repeating in the book of Acts, but he's doing it through the church. So, and he did this until the day in which he was taken up. After that, through the Holy Spirit, he gave commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. And then in verse 8, it says, uh, Christ is telling them, yes, the kingdom is coming. It's not for you to know when, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And this is the critical point now. So right up to Acts chapter 8, 
we were watching as through the Holy Spirit, the faithful church, the apostles uh, and the brethren were faithfully declaring the gospel of Christ. They were, they were faithful witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in uh, Samaria, which was Acts chapter 8, and then from there to the ends of the earth. And that to the ends of the earth has everything to do with the Apostle Paul, who was then introduced to us in Acts chapter 9. And I remember last week when we were doing Acts chapter 9, uh, Luke goes through this uh, real detail to give us how uh, Paul was struck down on the road to Damascus and how he encountered the Lord Jesus. And from there, he was converted. And then he set about immediately to begin preaching uh, the gospel of Christ as a witness, a faithful witness. And then all of a sudden, Luke switches back to Peter. And I remember last week I was puzzled and I said, I wasn't really sure why Luke did that. That instead of, why, why didn't he talk about Peter first and then transition and make a clean transition to Paul and then from Acts chapter 9, just begin focusing on Paul and how Paul takes the ministry of uh, the gospel to the whole, to the ends of the earth. But I think the answer is here in Acts chapter 10. And, and I'll come back to that. I think that uh, Luke is very deliberate in what he's showing to Theophilus. And, and he's showing basically that Peter is getting a vision. And that's why it's going to be so clear to us that chapter 10 has nothing to do with eating unclean meat. So let's, let's get into it then. So uh, remember Acts chapter 9, we ended that um, the transition back to Peter. And uh, Peter had raised Dorcas from the dead because the, the widows were so uh, gr uh, grief-stricken by her death. Uh, Peter raised her from the dead. And then it says here in chapter 42 of Acts 9, it was known throughout all Joppa that he, he raised her from the dead and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he stayed many days in Joppa with one Simon a tanner. And I, I just find this remarkable that, that Simon the tanner gets honorable mention in the scripture. And we have brethren who, who just have this gift of service, this gift of hospitality. And no doubt Simon had this gift that, that Peter spent a lot of time, we don't know how long, but it says many days. And, and clearly Simon was one of these brethren that just has this gift of hospitality because he mentioned several times. But so the chapter nine ends with Peter continuing the work of the Holy Spirit and then lodging with uh, Simon the Tanner as, as brethren in this area of Joppa are, are being converted. Now we come into chapter 10. And in chapter 10, we're introduced to Cornelius. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Band. He was a devout man. So he was an Italian. That's important. He's a Gentile. And he's a, a commander of a hundred men in an army. He's a centurion. But he's a devout man and one that feared God with all his house. And it's important for us to know that at this time there were Gentiles who were fatigued with, with uh, Roman paganism. And they were attracted to the Jewish religion. And so they were known as God-fearers. They basically practiced Judaism but they were not Jews, and then they, they were not allowed in the temple, and they, they were sort of at arm's length, but they were respected as God-fearers. And so Cornelius is one of these God-fearers, and these make up the, the beginning of the Gentile church, that, that many of the things that, that the Jews took for granted, the God-fearers already knew. And so they came into the church understanding, for example, clean and unclean meats and the Sabbath, etc. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Your prayers and your alms are come up for a memorial before God. 
Now send men to Joppa and call for one, Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner. So again, Simon the tanner gets honorable mention for his hospitality. Uh, Peter is staying with him, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell you what you ought to do. And when the angel which spoke unto Cornelius was departed, he, Cornelius called two of his household servants, a devout soldier, and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. And notice now, this is the exact uh, pattern that we saw in Acts chapter 9, where Paul had a vision, and then God gave a counter vision, a, a complementary vision, to Aeneas. And then they came together, able to compare notes and verify. Here we're going to see a vision that's given to Cornelius, and a complementary vision is given to uh, Peter. And so they can come together and see that, wow, God the under, confirm the operation of God. God never works in a way where he just gives a vision to one man, no witnesses, and then forces us to believe him. He always gives evidence and support for what he's showing. On the morrow, verse uh, 9, as they went on their journey, so these men are now going to Joppa to, to find Peter, as they went on their journey and drew near unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop. So they're on their way. They've got the, Cornelius had this vision. He explained it to them. They're now on their way. And now God confirms the vision to Cornelius by giving a vision to Peter. And so he went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry. And he would have eaten. So he would have eaten, meaning he's starving, kind of like he'd have eaten anything. He's so hungry. But while they made ready, so again, the hospitality of Simon the Tanner, they're preparing a, a very good meal, I'm sure. So, you know, it's not instant food. It takes time to prepare, and they're, they're making ready. So he's hungry. They're making ready. He falls into a trance. And he saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners. So that's, again, that vision that he saw and let down to the earth wherein all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air and there came a voice to him rise peter kill and eat and this rise peter kill and eat is what christians traditional christians use to say see everything's clean what what god has pronounced clean don't call unclean let's let's keep to the context and, and in fact what many people will do as well is combine this with um matthew 15 where Jesus himself said, it's not that which goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but that which comes out of the mouth, that's what defiles the man. And again, they'll take this out of context. So let's deal with this Matthew 15 verse 11 first, and then let's come back to um, Acts chapter 10, and we'll deal it one at a time. So Matthew 15 does not support Acts chapter 10 to say that Peter can eat anything. Let's look at Matthew 15 in context. Beginning in verse 1, there came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, why do, your why, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. So this is the issue. Uh, Christ's disciples are not going through this ceremonial washing of hands before they eat. And the Pharisees are sticklers over this. So they're looking down on Christ's disciples and they're challenging Christ and saying, you know, how can you call yourself holy when your disciples don't wash their hands when they eat bread? But he answered unto them and said, why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? 
For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. That's what the commandment says. But you say, Whosoever shall say to his father or mother, It is a gift, that, that rather than honoring their parents, they're just giving the gift to, to the Pharisees. By whatsoever you might be profited by me, so instead of you benefiting from me as a parent, I'm going to give this to, to the church or to the, to the uh, Pharisees, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. So you're saying the exact opposite of what the commandment says. The commandment says he shall die. You're saying he shall be free. And we have churches today, you know, it's, it's quite amazing. Uh, we have churches today who, who countermand the word of God. That God says, honor your father and mother. And we have uh, people who are saying, if your father and mother are not in my church, you can't talk to them. And people follow them. And they're actually countermanding the, the word of God. They're saying, if you dishonor your mother and father, you'll live. When the commandment says, if you dishonor your mother and father, you'll die. And so it's, it's, it's nothing new. So here he says that he'll be, but in this way, by contradicting the commandment, you have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. You, you're challenging me that we don't follow your tradition, but your tradition actually countermands the commandments of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, this people draws near to me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So, so you, you just have the commandments of men and not the commandments of God. And he called the multitude. Now the multitude are not Gentiles. The multitude are Jews. And so he calls the multitude of Jews together. They know the difference between clean and unclean meat. And they're not about to eat unclean meat. And he said to them, hear and understand. He's speaking again specifically of the traditions. And their tradition is you have to wash your hands in this ceremonial way before you can eat bread. And he's saying, you know what? Your traditions also say you don't have to honor your mother and father. And the commandment says if you don't do that, you'll, you'll die. But you'll say, you say if you, can't, if you don't do that, you'll be set free. So the focus here that Christ has is speaking to Jews about the traditions. And so he goes on to say, it is not, hear and understand, not that which goes into the mouth defiles a man, but that which comes out of the mouth. In other words, the traditions. So these, these Pharisees, this is quite amazing, these Pharisees with their traditions who think they're so holy, these traditions are actually defiling them. That's what, that's what Christ wants the multitude to understand. It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles them. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said to them, basically, you know what? They're not of the true body of uh, God's people. Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up. So, so all these people who are preaching and, and teaching uh, contradictory to God's law, eventually they'll be rooted up. We saw that in Isaiah 66, that God is going to come with fury and, and he's going to challenge all the hypocrites and destroy the hypocrites. So don't worry about these people. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are you also yet without understanding? Don't you yet understand that what enters in at the mouth goes into the belly and is cast out into the draft? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. 
For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defiles not a man. So look, verse 20 makes it really crystal clear. This is what Jesus Christ is talking about when he says that the things that go into the mouth, they don't defile the man. He's talking to Jews. The multitude gather. He's talking to the Jews. Now he's talking to his disciples. There's no question that he's saying to them, oh, go ahead and eat whatever you want. He's just talking to them about the traditions of the Pharisees and that they're allowing them, that they, they would never eat without washing their hands first. And Christ is saying, look, to eat with unwashed hands, this doesn't defile the man. It's what's in their heart. That's what's defiling them. So let's come back now, having knocked that on the head, uh, that now what, what is Acts chapter 10 talking about? So there came a voice to Peter saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. How did Peter respond? So again, if Matthew 15 was all about, you know, hey, eat whatever you want, then Peter would have done that. But he didn't. So here in Acts uh, chapter 14, uh, 10, verse 14, Peter says, No way. No way. So the Lord is telling him, Go ahead and eat whatever you want. No way. Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Never. So this is the Peter. Remember uh, John uh, with the foot washing. So if we go to John 13, uh, he rises from supper, that is Christ, and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he pours water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And so all the disciples are kind of wondering what's going on here, but they don't react the way Peter does. Look how Peter reacts. Then he comes to Peter, to Simon Peter, and Peter says to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus, so he's like, he's shocked. And, he, and Peter is very impulsive and he says what's on his mind and he acts immediately. And Jesus answered and said, what I do you do not know now, but you shall know after. Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. So you know, this is out of the question. Jesus answered him and said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So Peter answered, Simon Peter says unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So you really get a sense of Peter's character. This is the same individual that cut off the soldier's ear when they came to arrest Christ. This is the same individual that we saw in chapter 1, who, who again, before he, was, uh, before he received the Holy Spirit, who impulsively says, we've got to replace Judas. We've got to find another. He's a man of action and immediate action and responds immediately. So if Christ had said to him, hey, you can eat whatever you want, back in Matthew 15, he'd have been eating everything. Because you, you see the way he reacts. He's, he's all in or all out. And so he would have been all in. Instead, he says, not so, Lord. So again, coming back to Acts chapter uh, 10, verse 14, Peter says, no way. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again the second time and says, what God has cleansed, you shall not call common. This was done three times. So it, like, each time is like, no way, no way, no way. And God is saying, look, what I call clean, you don't call common or unclean. This was done three times and the vessel was finally taken up again into heaven. Now, so the vision is over, happened three times. Peter's like arguing with the Lord saying, I've never done, I've ne I can't do this, I've never done it. 
Now, while Peter doubted in himself what the vision which he had seen should mean, and remember, he's starving. I don't know if you've ever gone shopping when you're starving, but the advice is when it's time to go grocery shopping, go shopping on a full stomach. Because if you go shopping on an empty stomach, you buy all kinds of crazy things. Or, or if you've missed lunch and you've got to, you, you eat anything, you go against your diet. Uh, here he's starving, and he would, he's like, he'd eat anything. And the vision comes and says, kill and eat, and he's like, no way. Three times, no way. And now it's all over, and he's still doubting. What, what could this mean? It's like he's very clear what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that I can go out and eat whatever I want. You know, as, as we say, there's a reason why uh, pigs are called pigs. And, and, and God, there are scavengers of the earth. There are these vacuum cleaners that are designed to clean the earth. And, and, and they're not fit for human consumption. God refers to them as an abomination. They're not human food. And so Peter is not doubting. He's, he's very clear about what it doesn't mean. And so he's doubting in himself uh, what the vision could mean, because he knows what it doesn't mean. Behold, the men which were sent for Cornelius had made... So while he's doubting now, again, these two visions are coming together. While he's doubting, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, that's Simon the Tanner, and stood before the gate. So he's wondering what's going on here. Now the men are at the gate. And called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was staying there. While Peter thought on the vision, he's still trying to figure it out. Like he knows what it doesn't mean. He's trying to figure it out. The spirit said to him, Behold, three men ask for you. Arise therefore and go down and go with them and doubt nothing. So this is like, do not doubt whatever they're going to show you, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom you're looking for. What is the cause why you've come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one that fears God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews. So he's a Gentile, but he has a good report with the Jews. He was warned from God by a holy angel to send for you into his house and to hear words of you. So he wants you to come and he, wa he's, he's, he wants to hear from you. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. So obviously a man of great influence, and so he brings his uh, uh, household and friends together. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him. So he's so excited, he knows that this is the apostle of God. Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. This is the holy man of God. He is so happy that this man has come to his house. And as he talked with him, sorry, sorry, verse 26 is really important. Um, but Peter took him up saying, stand up. I myself also am a man. And, and notice this is a really critical verse. There is no man of God that welcomes worship of himself. There is no man of God that ag aggrandizes himself. No true man of God. Every true man of God points everyone to the Father. And will, it, will not accept honor, does not seek honor from men. And so Peter's like, stand up, get up, this is awful. Uh, I myself also am a man. And, he talk, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. So he's put the whole crowd together. And he said unto them, 
You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. So notice this, right? That in verse 24, it's not just Cornelius. Cornelius is waiting and he calls together his kinsmen and his friends, all Gentiles. So there's this quite significant crowd. Peter now comes to this crowd and he says in verse 28, he said unto them, you know how that it's an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation, that basically is a Gentile. So Gentiles means other nations. So I, I, to come to the come in the midst of these Gentiles, this is unlawful. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Notice he doesn't say, but God has shown me that I should not call any animal common or unclean. So while we're all here, let's kind of break out the pig, the monkey, the mouse, and the rat, and let's have a great party eating all these wonderful things that God has shown me that it's okay to eat. It's not any animal, it's any man. God has shown, and now I figured out what the vision means. I knew what it didn't mean. I, now I understand what it means. God has shown me not to call you common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without doubting as soon as I was sent for. I ask therefore for what intent you have sent for me. And Cornelius said, here's the counter vision now, the complementary vision. Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. Again, a very righteous, very devout man, but a Gentile. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer is heard and your alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call there Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner. Again, Simon, this uh, very hospitable man, keeps getting honorable mention. He's staying with Simon the Tanner by the seaside, who when he comes shall speak unto you. Immediately, therefore, I sent unto you, and you have done well that you are come. Now, therefore, we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded you of God. So you can see very clearly now, what I said earlier was last week I was puzzled by the fact that uh, Luke, in writing to Theophilus, takes the gospel all the way through Samaria, and then he introduces Paul, who is now going to take it to the ends of the world, to all the Gentiles. After introducing Paul, he suddenly transitions back to Peter. And it just seemed a bit odd to me when I was reading chapter 9. Why did he do that? And I thought, you know, it's just maybe just to show Theophilus that the Holy Spirit is still working in the other apostles in addition to working in Paul, and, and that Paul's ministry is, is part of this whole church movement. But in reading chapter 10, it now becomes clear to me that the reason he went back to Peter is to show Theophilus that the preaching of the gospel to Gentiles is completely authorized by the Holy Spirit. Because remember when Paul was converted, he didn't go to Jerusalem. He went into um, Arabia. And, and he was in Arabia and Damascus for three years, learning the gospel from Christ and teaching the gospel. And so here what we see is the authorization to take the gospel out of Judea and Samaria and into the Gentile world. We see it by the Holy Spirit through Peter. So this is happening in parallel while Paul is doing his ministry. And I think what, what uh, Luke is making very, very clear is the gospel is authorized to go to the Gentiles. And so when we read chapter 10 in context, it's got nothing to do with eating pork, 
nothing to do with eating ham sandwiches or squid or octopus or mice or rats or dogs, nothing at all. Those, those meats are unclean, they're not fit for human consumption. So we must eat clean meat as, as authorized by the scripture. But what it is showing is that we must not be prejudiced or the Jews must not be prejudiced against other nations. That, that God has pronounced all men clean once they repent and receive the Holy Spirit. So let's continue here in verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth, mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. So this is why when, when Paul meets him three years later and they spend two weeks together, Peter is totally on board with what Paul is doing because he sees the authorization himself personally with this vision. But in every nation, not just the Israel nation or the Israelite nations, in every nation, he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. And let's just, we're going to do chapter 11 um, next week, but just to uh, reconcile this again, to really uh, put a fine point on this, what is Acts chapter 10 all about? Look what he says in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 5, where he recounts what happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. A certain vessel descend, as it had been a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me, upon the which, when I had fastened my eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay, and eat. But I said, Not, no way, no way, no way. Not so, Lord, for nothing common or clean has at, or unclean has at any time entered into my mouth. So again, clearly what Christ was covering in Matthew 15 uh, was not the, the authorization of eating abomination, abominable food, uh, meats. And, and he, otherwise he would have done it. He's a, he's a kind of guy that he's all in or all out. Uh, so here he says, I've never done this. But the voice answered me again from heaven. What God has cleansed, you shall not call common. Notice it's what God has cleansed. So what did he cleanse? Did he clean these meats? Well, here he made it very clear in chapter 10. He's going to reiterate here in chapter 11. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately, at the same time, there were three men already come into the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. So the timing of this is perfect. So Cornelius gets this vision. He then dispatches these three men. God knows exactly how long it's going to take for them to come. As they're approaching the house, Peter gets this vision. The sheet then goes up. As he's wondering what the vision is, the men are knocking on the door. The Gentile men. And the Spirit bade me go with them and don't doubt. Otherwise, he, he would have said, I can't keep company with you. But the Spirit told him, go with these Gentiles. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me. So he went with six Jewish brethren, and we entered into the Gentile man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. I just love this, how, how God always uh, gives at least two witnesses to, to his operations. Who shall tell you words whereby you and all your house shall be saved. 
So he was really, that's why he was so anxious to hear the words, because these words were the words of salvation. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, as it did on us at the beginning. Remember in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit was given to the, to the Jews, and they began to speak in tongues, and that was the day of Pentecost. Well, here it's like a, a Pentecost for the Gentiles. So he's saying, you know, I, I began to tell them the words of salvation. And while I was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them the way it did on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord. So, so then I remembered how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I'm, re I'm realizing now I'm speaking and they're being baptized with the Holy Spirit. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? And this is again is why when, when Paul now meets up with him three years later, he is not going to resist Paul because he's gotten the authorization of this gospel to go to the Gentile world. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then has God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life? And we'll go into uh, chapter 11 next week, but I just wanted to call out here that Peter is very, very clear about what the vision means. The vision means that Gentiles are now being brought into the church, and, and they must be welcomed, and they mustn't be called unclean. So coming back to Acts chapter 10, verse 37, That word, I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea, again, remember it was Jerusalem, then all Judea, And began from Galilee, after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and went about doing good. That's what Jesus did. I, I, I'm just like, I don't know, I, I'm speechless at the rejection of Jesus Christ, how, how the hatred of Jesus Christ, how, how, how Christianity is being denigrated. And, and all Jesus did was good. And, and there's this hatred toward Christ. I don't understand it. But I do know that it's without a cause. And, and I, I, I'm sorry for people who hate Christ. And, and we can only invite them to repent and look at the life of this man. He only did good. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He released them from this bondage. For God was with him. He only did good. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew, and hung on a tree. They had such a vile hatred for him. Him, God raised up the third day, according to the scriptures. He, the whole scriptures tell of Christ's coming, his death, burial, and resurrection, and his return. And so this is, this is exactly what the scriptures foretold, and it's exactly what happened. They, they slew and they hung him on a tree. Him, God raised up the third day, and showed him openly. So this, this was not done secretly. It wasn't in a cave. It was openly. Everybody saw him crucified. And then everybody, over 500 brethren, saw him. Not to all the people. So not to all the people. But unto witnesses chosen before of God. Even to us. So there were over 500 brethren saw him. And specifically these apostles were called out to be witnesses. Who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. So we, we lived with him and ate with him before he died. Then he was crucified and we were full of grief. And three days later, he came back to life. And we actually ate with him and sat with him and talked with him. And he was with them for 40 days. 
And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify. We are to be witnesses. This is the whole point of the church, to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the living and the dead. So this whole life is about Jesus Christ. And every single human being has to reconcile with Jesus Christ one way or another. Because he, God the Father has made him the judge of the living of the dead. So notice he commanded us to preach unto the people. We, we don't have a choice. We're commanded to preach unto the people and to be witnesses, to testify that it is he which God ordained to be judge of the quick and the dead. And notice in John chapter 6, this is exactly what Jesus Christ said he came to do. So as the creator, he came into the creation and, he, and they were asking him, you know, what can we do to do the works of God? And Jesus answered him in John 6, 29 and said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. So this is the work that Jesus Christ came to do, that, that he wanted the people to believe that he truly is the Savior, that he has truly come to save them, and that he is the judge of the, the quick, the living, and the dead. And so he now commands the church to do this very same work, to testify of him. Back to Acts chapter 10. He commanded us to preach to his people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick, the living, and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness. So all true prophets also testify of Jesus Christ. There is no true prophet that does not testify of Jesus Christ, not just as another prophet, but as the son of the living God and as the righteous judge whom every knee shall bow to. And everyone shall give an answer to, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So we can open up any prophet, all the prophecies, and they all point to Christ. In fact, I just read uh, at the beginning of this study from Isaiah, chapter 66, who was pointing to the return of Jesus Christ. So all the prophets bear witness of Jesus Christ. That through his name, whoever believes in him, shall receive the remission of sins. He's the lamb that was slain from the beginning of the world. So this wasn't something that God had to figure out later. It, it, it's in the very foundation of the world. He's, as, as the world was being created, the lamb was slain at the foundation of the world. And so every prophet bears witness to, to the central role of Jesus Christ in the salvation and redemption of mankind. While Peter yet spoke these words, so, so again, we, we rushed ahead in uh, chapter 11, but we're seeing it now. While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on them which heard the word. So he's preaching these words to the Gentiles. And while he's preaching the word, they get the Holy Spirit. It's like a Pentecost for Gentiles. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. This is like, this is why Peter had to get this vision. Because this is just profound. The, the Jews, and this is another thing, the Jews were very familiar with the Holy Spirit. It's in their history. King David and others all, all had uh, interactions with the Holy Spirit. And so they knew of the Holy Spirit. And now the church, what, what, what Joel prophesied was that sons and daughters and everybody would receive the Holy Spirit. So that happened on Pentecost. But now what's happening is the Holy Spirit is going into Gentiles. And they just cannot believe it. They are astonished. As many as came with Peter, so these are the six brethren, I believe, as he said, came with him. They just can't believe it. Because 
that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice in, on, on, in Acts chapter 2, when the Jews received the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. Now the Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit. And look at uh, verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. They could actually understand what they were saying and they were magnifying God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Spirit as well as us? So, so you know, baptism is essential. And we have sometimes people come into the, to, to our congregations and they don't want to be baptized. They, they claim they've already received the Holy Spirit. They haven't repented of their sins. They didn't even know what sin was. We point out to them what sin is. We encourage them to repent and they don't want to be baptized. But you need to repent, you need to be baptized, and you need to receive the Holy Spirit. In this case, this miraculous case, they receive the Holy Spirit before they're baptized. But Peter understands this is a requirement. And so since you've already got the Holy Spirit, is there anybody here that objects to me baptizing these people to make sure that all righteousness is fulfilled? Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Spirit as well as us? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. He commanded them. This is a requirement. You must do this. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So he's, he's uh, with uh, Cornelius, the centurion. And uh, they're asking him not to return to Joppa, uh, to stay with them, to fellowship with them. And so he does that. So I, I hope this is crystal, crystal clear. That we cannot just, uh, you know, when we divide the Bible up into chapters and verses and books, uh, it just makes it very easy for us to go in uh, and just pull out a verse out of thin air and make it mean whatever we want it to mean. We have to read it in context. And then again, in the context with the intent, why is Luke writing to Theophilus? He's trying to author, he's trying to defend or give evidence so that Theophilus can successfully defend uh, the Apostle Paul's ministry. And he's trying to show that the Apostle Paul's ministry is rooted in Jesus Christ. And so this sort of transition between the Jewish preaching of the gospel and also the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles, to the ends of the, wor- ends of the world, he's showing this transition. And so Acts chapter 9, 10, and 11 are showing the transition from, from preaching to the Jews to preaching to the Gentiles. And I think that's why when, when uh, Luke introduces Paul, he then goes back to Peter to show in parallel, while Paul is beginning his ministry, Peter is being shown not to call any man common or unclean that God has pronounced clean. And God gave them the Holy Spirit. And it's like, okay, uh, is anybody going to forbid me baptizing them? They're, they're a part of the church. And this is now the beginning of the Gentiles coming into the church. And this is going to create all kinds of problems that are, that, that are affecting us to this day. And we need to understand very clearly what the church is, what the church believes, how these Gentiles are being grafted into, into the church. It's not becoming a Gentile church. And unfortunately, that's what we have with a lot of Christianity today. It's a Gentile church. They've sort of hijacked the church from its Hebrew, Hebraic roots. And we need to come back to the scriptures and understand exactly what is the church, what are the attributes of the true church, and ensure that we're not following the traditions of men. Because God condemned the Pharisees for taking their traditions and, and, and making them a higher priority than the commandments of God. The true church will always put the commandments higher than the word of God. So I'm sure that if you are you know, a traditional Christian, 
Some of the things that I've said may upset you, may offend you. That's not my intent. I certainly do, though, want to challenge you, and I hope you'll challenge me as well, to look at the Word of God and believe the Word of God. And we will now go to a chat session. Again, if you look down here at the uh, first URL, cgi.org slash webcast, that's where we have our uh, after Bible study chat. And if you have questions about unclean and clean meats, and whether or not you, you still feel that you're okay to eat some of the things that you're eating that the Bible strictly prohibits, we're happy to talk about that. So until next week, uh, good night.